back again for another week. This is the Blue Corner. My name is Dennis. And uh, yeah, for those who are joining us for the first time, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Uh, for those that are returning, make sure you give this video a like. Uh, today, I can't believe it. We're really lucky. Um, we, we've, it's fight week once again. Like it's fight week every week, but it's not often we get to uh, talk to a fighter on fight week. I'm, I'm really appreciating the fact that um, I'll say she has given her time up. Um, it's, a, it's actually interesting because I was uh, looking um, at some of the history of, of, of to, uh, this week's guest and uh, she started competing for a promotion that was called From the Blue, or not From the Blue Corner, but Blue Corner Promotions. Um, and uh, I've, I found that kind of fitting. Uh, she also made her debut in the UFC last uh, year. Uh, also coming out of the Blue Corner and today she joins us uh, dressed in all blue um, she's eight and two, one and zero in the UFC. Uh, I'm talking about none other than Miranda. Fear the Maverick. How are you? How has 2020 been for you? And how has 2021 or the start of 2021 been treating you? Uh, blessings all the way around. Uh, thank you for having me on here. 2020, you know, brought me my UFC debut. That was the dream. And now the dream just keeps growing higher. Um, 2021 I was supposed to have the fight with Jillian Robertson about a month ago, maybe five weeks ago. And now I'm getting another shot at it. She ended up getting sick last time, the day of the fight. Um, so ready to kind of have even more fuel to my fire and go in there this time on March 27th. So when you say she fell sick last time, do, do we actually know what she fell sick with? Um, she actually sent me an Instagram message. I found out about it before the UFC had even found out about it. She wanted me to hear it first, um, but it was actually a lot of confusion because nobody knew what was going on. It was right before we were supposed to go to the Apex Center to fight. And uh, she basically said that she had woke up the morning of the fight at 4 a.m. with like chills and vomiting. Um, you know, people that are my fans and stuff are like, oh, she was scared. Um, I legitimately think she was sick or else she wouldn't be rebooking the fight with me. I think there's obviously some nerves that play into that, but she probably got food poisoning or something like that. But I haven't heard like exactly what it was. I don't think she had like any COVID related illness or anything like that. And I mean, it's interesting, right? As I said, you've only had the one um, fight in the UFC thus far. And I believe your first fight got rebooked twice too. So you've actually been booked four times, but this is now going to be your second fight, correct? But la the first time, was it, it was you that fell ill, right? The the first time actually was a, a different person. I never got to fight her. It was Bar Barra Morella. Barella Morella, something like that. And um, I actually ended up having torn retinas. I had no knowledge about them at all. I went into the eye exam when I was already in Vegas. It happened to be the only exam I didn't get taken before I went there. And they found something weird. I had to go in and go to a specialist. They found two torn retinas. I had no idea about it. Um, trauma related. Ended up having two major surgeries on my eyes within that next month or actually within like a week, I think it was. Very scary experience, actually. There was like a 40% chance of going blind in each eye. Honestly, I had no idea if I'd ever fight again. I was told by all the surgeons I went to I would never fight again, never get to be punched in the face again for sure. Um, and I finally went to another surgeon who had done it for children and stuff because it's usually something older people have, not younger people. And she had dealt with it in younger people, had a way that she knew how to do it correctly. 
and I was back within two and a half to three months and was able to fight Liana Jojua. I think it ended up being a blessing in disguise. You know, one, I got my eyes fixed. Um, two, I got to be on a pay-per-view card. And three, I got to fight Liana Jojua and made a great debut. Well, talking about pay-per-views, I, I, I think we soon we'll probably call you the queen of pay-per-views, right? Because it's the same thing there. Like, uh, your debut was obviously uh, booked on a pay-per-view in Fight Island, which I want to talk to you about as well, that whole experience. But uh, then, obviously, the first time this fight got booked, it was meant to be, I believe, on the Usman uh, card, the Burns card. Um, obviously, that fell through. And now, obviously, you're you're on the uh, Stipe versus Francis card. So it's, it's kind of like they're really putting you on these pay-per-views, which I'm a little disappointed, I will say, just being the Aussie that I am, Alex has dropped out this week, um, which kind of yeah. sucks for us. Um, we we also lost uh, Brad Riddell on last week's card, and uh, but look, we got Shane Young and uh, Jamie Malarkey is a good friend of mine, and he's he's still over there. So okay. fi- fingers crossed that he uh, actually uh, continues and and they're able to fight because I'm a bit worried because obviously they know each other pretty well. So I'm hoping that they haven't come into contact with each other because. That could all blow up as well. Um, but with your with your eyes, how how did that originally happen? Was that like a an injury th- through the fighting, or I I like I said, I had no idea about it. You know, I couldn't tell that it was actually that way just because I it was in the periphery, so there was no way of me actually knowing that I had my retinas torn until they checked it with the exam and with Invicta Fighting Championships that I was with, they never had eye exams. You know, we had physicals like any other small promotion, but there was there was nothing else to go along with that. Um, but when I did it, yeah, it was just, they said it was trauma related and it happened within the past two years. So it was definitely from uh, the fight camp that I train with now. Um, probably just training with the guys and getting hit in the head a little bit too hard by them. Um, and I had had a very bad black eye at one point that was from jujitsu and somebody's toe had went my, just a lot of circumstances where I could look back and be like, oh, that could have been it. Um, but I'm just lucky that it got taken care of and, you know, that I didn't go blind like they said might be a chance of. And I, I, I know you also take your uh, study pretty seriously as well. Did that affect any of your studies as well? Because we were virtual, it actually did for those couple months that I was healing. It was very hard to look at a screen, um, let alone after I got in both surgeries. When I had just done one, I had one eye that was good. But then after they were both done, um, it took about a month before I could look at a screen for more than about five minutes to 10 minutes at a time without getting a severe headache or even my eyes hurting, which was worse. I had like, um, there's little muscles in our eyes, right? And I would have like actual muscle fibers like tear all the time. If I would like look one way too far or concentrate too hard, they would get like too stressed and I'd like have blood running down my eye. So it was like pretty like freaky and severe and I'd never really had, I mean, I've had a knee injury, but nothing that was like life debilitating you know and that one was very scary my parents were very worried everyone in my life was worried including myself and like does that still worry you now uh, i mean or do you feel like it's it's healed 100 percent? and what i mean by that is like you know when you're sparring now during this fight camp have have there been moments where you've been hit and it just gives you a little bit of that that i i, I wouldn't call it shock but you know what i mean like where you're just like oh i don't know if yeah, it's always scary, but like I told DC and they were talking about it in the commentary during my last fight as I walked out, I actually don't really um, 
we change things entirely with my training. I don't spar live as much anymore. And when I do, it's very safe conditions. Unlike it used to be before we used to be kind of a, you know, you're either tough and you make it or you don't kind of gym, like go in there and bang. But now it's just technical sparring. I usually go with the girls a lot more. Um, you know, I got shit on social media. I saw that last week about them being like, well, she's not training with any high level pros all the time, like some of these other girls. And I'm like, one, I don't have any around. But two, the girls I do train with are very tough and very good. I train with them and some of my smaller male training partners and we do technical sparring, no live sparring. Um, and I think it's actually better. I think everybody should do that. You look at the greats who talk about how they train now, and that's pretty much how it is. Very few, you know, it keeps being less and less that just go in there and spar all the time. That's how it used to be is everybody just go and fight each other every day. And now they've figured out smarter ways to do it. And finally, we're kind of integrating that into my gym as well. Um, less sparring. And when I do spar, I put on headgear. I'm very careful. Big gloves only. You know, we don't risk me getting poked in the eye, which is the scariest thing for me. When I would get poked in the eye the first like six months after surgery, it was very painful. Um, not to the point, I think, that like if it happened in a fight, I'd like quit or anything. But it's still like a, a scary notion. Um, if anybody's ever had, you know, any kind of injury, you know, your elbow, your knee, anytime somebody grabs it and pulls on it, you're like, Ugh, whether it hurts or not. Um, so it was like nerve-wracking and it still is i guess but i've kind of gained confidence in them over time and even having the last fight i felt good going in there i didn't really even notice the punches i've had checkups since um so we're set we're good to go i'm hoping honestly they're stronger than they were before because of the kind of surgery i got they're kind of sewed onto my eye now they're not allowed to leave anymore Nice, nice. And when it comes to eye pokes, because uh, obviously it's a common problem, right? Like it just keeps happening. And I know the last one was with Leon Edwards. Obviously, that was a that was a pretty bad one, and 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 it brought up the whole debate again about like should we be changing the gloves and 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 things like that. What what is your opinion on that? Do you, do you think that different gloves would potentially help with the with the eye poke, or do you do you think it's just a force of habit from fighters keeping their fingers extended or, or how, how, how do you feel about the whole, I guess, eye poke um, problem? I honestly don't think anything should change other than people being more aware of what they're doing with their hands. Um, the sport has grappling in it too. And I, as a primarily grappler, know how hard it is to grapple with mittens on my hands, you know, or boxing gloves. It's just, they'll change the entire sport if they do that. And um, the sport is what it is because of the grappling aspect of it, because we're able to grab people's hands and, and move our fingers around. Um, you know, it, it's a fight. If you don't go in there expecting to get hurt or have something unexpected happen, then what the hell are you doing in there? You know, I don't, I don't understand that. I'm not going in there like, if they poke me in the eye, they're a cheater like this or this, you know, the same with guys getting hit in the cup. Like, it happens shit happens like um we don't need to change uh the human anatomy of people that go in there and fight because they're getting kicked in the balls like we're not changing it to where there's no kicks because of it i don't think we should change it to where there's you know mittens on our hands instead of mma gloves i think leave it the same pay more attention crap happens I, I guess with the with the kicking of the uh, the balls though is a lot of the times like you can see that's an accident where when fighters are there constantly with their hands extended i think that's where but as you say like if they're aware of that i think maybe they should start deducting points a lot quicker with the ipods yeah. potentially maybe, like to maybe discourage so. um you know because i kind of feel like you get your first warning out the back in the rules meeting and things like that and i kind of feel like look you all know the rules 
you know, um, that should be your first warning. And if it happens in the fight, you know, it, it, it's kind of like a point deduction straight away. But I'm sure you'll have naysayers to that as well, right? Uh, no, I actually do agree with that one. I think the refs have become more strict with that, and I think they should be stricter about it. It kind of pins on the ref. I think if the ref has gotten in trouble previous about it versus if they haven't. Like last time when I fought Liana, he was like, I'll give you one more warning in the cage. I have to warn you again. You know, a point might be deducted. You don't see that very often because they still rule it as an accident or whatever. But yes, I agree they should have it more strict, but you can't have them always having closed hands or takedowns or whatever won't be available. But when somebody's going like this in your face for a jab, then um, yeah, I think a point could be deducted after a warning. And, and and talking about your first fight, what, what was the experience like? Like, obviously, it wasn't Fight Island. Um, it's, it's probably the holiday that everyone wants to get on right now because everyone's kind of like, I don't know, especially over here because the borders are shut. Like, when I talk to the fighters over here, they're like, we finally, I mean, it sucks when they come back because they've got to do the whole two-week quarantine and stuff, but at least yeah. they're getting out for a minute, right? But for you, like, what what, what was the, um, I, I guess, the deal of Fight Island, uh, your experience, um you know, was it kind of like a, a surprise fight for you or, or did you have a full camp for it? Um, yeah. The one with Liana, I had a full fight camp for. First time in my life that I've had eight weeks to prepare for a fight. It was crazy how that helped, you know, from my nutrition. Like, I feel like even my own family, myself noticed, like when I walked in that cage, I was in better shape than I've ever been in my entire life significantly. Um, and I credit that with having that much time to not only prepare, but even the time before that I stayed fit during the eye surgery, I stayed fit leading up to that fight. Plus it's the UFC, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm going in there to win. I'm not going in there to do my best. Um, you know, it's my dream. I'm not going to waste that. So I went in there with the best shape I could have been in. The fact that it was an Abu Dhabi was just like, you know, a cherry on top. I was really excited to get to go because one, I've never been outside of the United States. Um, I've traveled all over Ever? the United States, but I've never, mm -mm, nope. Wow. I had never left. Um, so I got my passport in hopes that I would get called up to the UFC. Um, it happened just in time. Unfortunately, my dad did not have his passport, hence why he was not in my corner at that point. Um, he hadn't had it renewed yet and COVID made it take forever. Um, but got to go out there. Of course, I was on the biggest pay-per-view card of 2020. That was amazing uh, to be a part of that. It was still quarantined at the time, which I actually appreciated because we went there and the only people that were there were basically the workers and you got the beach to yourself. You got the whole hotel to yourself. Um, it was just a fabulous experience, kind of peaceful, almost like a vacation. Yeah, crazy. And, and, um, like, did you, did you get to go on, like, because I know when I've seen, like, some people uh, do the videos, they, they have, like, the little race track that goes in and throughout the hotel. Did you, did you get any of that sort of experience or no, it was strictly business oh. for you? Oh, no, I got, I got to go to the beach. That was fun. I got to see the racetrack. We weren't allowed to go down there because it was, like, normal civilians were still using it and we were quarantined. Um, but we could watch and like I, I saw the cars I literally got woke up it was like 7 a.m and I was still trying to adjust to the sleep schedule and I was like what is that noise it sounds like there's a racetrack around here and um, then looked outside and it's like oh there is a racetrack right here <laughs> like that's what that is um, and they were actually doing a breast cancer awareness race when um, when I was there so they had a bunch of people running marathons too so that was cool 
And being that it was your first UFC fight, what, was the feeling any different? Like, did, did it bring you back to, I guess, like your first fight ever? Like, when you made that walk, did it feel any different to, say, the... Because you went into the UFC, what, at the time, seven... Was it seven and one? Or seven? No, uh, seven, no, seven and, and two. two, because obviously you've won one, so you're eight and two. Yeah, right, right. And it's funny because um, people argue it's 10 and two. I think it actually says 10 and two on the UFC's website. I don't know, but the tournament that I did in Invicta where I won three fights in a night, I guess only one technically counts via the commission, but I've won 10 fights or eight fights, however you want to look at it. Uh, kind of silly, but because they were only one round fights or whatever, they don't count them. Um, I would argue against that, but that's not, you know, either way, I'm all right. But like being in Abu Dhabi and having that first fight there and getting into the UFC, I wouldn't say the walkout was different or even the time being there, like still hadn't hit that it was reality. You know, I was still like in this dream world of, oh my goodness, I'm in the UFC. Like, but am I in the UFC? Like, you know, you're not there until you win your first fight. That's how I feel about it. Whether you have a contract or not, like it's just not that yet. And when Bruce Buffer called my name, like something in my head made me go back to what you said, like my first pro fight. And I got this nervous feeling and like all my adrenaline was just like, ah, and I haven't had that in, in years, you know, like I, for fighting, I'm very stoic. I'm very calm. I go in there very level headed and that time for about 30 seconds and you can see like the switch, you can see the gears running in my head. And my dad like chewed my butt after the fight. Cause he was like, what was that first 30 seconds? You got punched in the face so much that was retarded. I was like, I know, I know. Cause I never get hit. Like that's my thing. I don't get hit. I hit you and I get out of the way. And I just kept taking punches to the face because it took me about 30 seconds to like come back to reality of nerves calming down and okay, you're in a fight now, you're in the UFC, go. And I mean, the elbow was brutal, right? Like, <laughs> and, 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 and it was like, it, it really busted her open for a minute. Um, were you a little disappointed that the, uh, the, the doctor stepped in there? Um, not now. I guess. But yes, at the time, I kind of wanted to put my hands on her to finish it because there's always controversy, you know, even if it is a clean like, yeah, she could not have continued. Her fans, of course, would be like, oh, she's tough. She would have made it. But because it wasn't impeding her vision or whatever, people argue. But in all honesty, I was already targeting her nose from the first punch I hit her. Her nose was bleeding. And I'm like, why would I not? keep elbowing her in the face she never caught on i hit her three no four times with an elbow the same elbow and she didn't do anything to stop it it was just going to get worse she was going to have a whole fillet open on her face by the next round but in honesty like i wish they wouldn't have stopped it just so i could go in there and put hands on her and, and show my full game well uh, and i guess also because it was your first experience and it's like what it's over like, you know what I mean? Like, because yeah, exactly. obviously, as you were saying, like, you're in the best shape of your life. I, I, I'm sure you probably would have liked to dance for a little while longer anyway, right? I guess. But at the same time, you know, it got me a lot of attention, I think, from making it the doctor stoppage and uh, from making the damage that I did. Um, I will say huge shout out to John Anik. He's been a huge, uh, I wouldn't say advantage, but like benefit to my career you know all the way from calling me like the the prospect of 2020 to getting me all this hype and i think that's a lot of the reason that i'm on these pay-per-view cards and getting a lot of the attention so um i really appreciate him um, i feel like my speaking ability has a lot to do with that too i think a lot of people were impressed with that i guess that's been a 
huge thing for me, even since a child, like you've got to be good at interviews. You've got to be good at the being on the camera and video. It's an entertainment industry. It's not just, you know, like a sport where you throw a ball and you're done, get off the court. Like you've got to make it your own hype. You've got to make your own thing. And my thing isn't going in there and cussing out the other fighters and being a shit talker. Um, it's just going in there and being the best and trying to back that up with what I say and do. So did you know John before you made the UFC when you say he was a big help to you or no, just was it just watching him and seeing how he does his thing or? Well, not even that. Just uh, how he treated me after he met me and stuff. And like the fact that he did call me prospect of 2020, like that just gave me reels to run on. You know, he when they did the closeout of 2020, I was I was the prospect that he picked and DC picked. And um, he had a lot to do with, I would say getting me on the pay-per-view cards just from people getting to know me more and getting more exposure through him. Uh, I don't know what to say, giving me that exposure, you know, um, giving me that placement in his own mind. And I think at the time he said I, he thought I was top five in the world, at least, even though I hadn't made it that far because of the fight experience. Um, and that's really exciting for me, but I don't plan on riding that hype train, if that makes sense. I'm not trying to get there just by, believing it myself because he said it like i want to go in there and fight every girl up to the way up to the top and uh, make it happen i don't want to go in there and have two fights and then fail like a lot of people have they've gotten hyped up by the ufc and on that card once again it was a pay-per-view and and and, and considerably one of the biggest pay-per-views too right it was um kabib versus was it no it was justin Gaethje. justin right Gaethje. um mm -hmm. considering that you you know, you look pretty good. Were you able to to go out and witness greatness in, in Khabib? Because obviously now the news is that he's retired. Like, did you get that opportunity? Uh, we didn't get to watch it live. Um, they sent us right back. Um, so while a lot of the fights were going on, obviously I was the prelim, so I had time to relax and go watch the fights back in my hotel. I wasn't like rushing back to go do it. Um, but I had a bunch of interviews for like an hour after that, I had to get checked by the doctors, all that stuff. Once we got back to the hotel, they had them live in our rooms. Like you could turn on a channel and go watch, but unfortunately we didn't get to stay in the arena. Quarantining was the excuse, but it didn't make much sense to me because we had all already been tested a bazillion times. Um, so I don't really know the reason other than, you know, it's Abu Dhabi and at the time they didn't have a permanent, like housing for the fights and stuff. So I guess they just didn't want to have more logistics to deal with. Which is crazy because the one thing with the with the quarantining that I don't understand, I've brought this up in past episodes, is the coaches still having to wear the mask, right? And I'm like, they, no, they've, done, I don't they've done multiple tests. They're in that bubble, yet they still have to wear the masks. Like, And I'm like, this is kind of weird. Like I, yeah. I, like I would understand if... Even the fighters in the back until you walk out and then they'll let you take. And I'm like, this doesn't make sense. Also, I'm not warming up with a mask. <laughs> right. But, so uh, it's it's kind of weird. It's it's kind of like they have to do it, I guess, as a little bit of lip service to, to show people that they're doing everything that they can, but it makes no sense. I think that's what it is. And people just, I don't know, people don't put together things very fast. And I think the people who don't put it together very fast, it's all to make them feel better. It's the same way with restaurants. You have to wear it walking in, but you sit down and instantly COVID disappears. I guess food makes COVID go away. Just 
Hundred percent. And then the funny thing is, they'll cut across to like Dana White sitting behind the glass, but he's not wearing a mask. And I'm like, hey, what's going on there? But let's yeah, let, right. let, let, let's go back to the start of your journey. Like, where where did the um, attraction, I, I, I guess, come? Like, I, I read somewhere that your your initial, I guess, competitive drive came in the form of BJJ. Uh, yes, I suppose. So there's so many like it's such a long story of how I got started in MMA. So I'll just kind of start from there. One, I grew up working on a farm. I've always been super athletic, always very strong, like physically strong for being a female, for being as young and small as I was. And I figured that out, not only working through life, but also starting to do athletics as a child, you know, in school and stuff like that, playing around all the way from like arm wrestling the boys at school to doing basketball track, whatever it may be. And I was always just considered the tough girl or the strong girl. And uh, my dad is a very protective father and he was very big about us wrestling at home and like just roughhousing all the time and as i got older it started to be more and more technique i didn't realize but i was learning jujitsu as a very young child you know he had been watching the ufc we all did and he took a very keen eye on the jujitsu aspect of it and started watching youtube videos and stuff like that never got any formal training we kind of live in the middle of nowhere and have a farm that he's always busy on but me and my brother and sister and my dad would always wrestle literally every night, like an hour every night, we would just roughhouse around, but we're doing arm bars, we're doing chokes, you know, we're doing even heel hooks and stuff, but we didn't know that's what they were. We're just playing around, you know? And once I got old enough to understand and we're sitting there watching a UFC fight and I didn't realize women's fighting was a thing. I didn't pay attention to the politics of it. And I see Ronda Rousey come out and I think it, it was her first UFC fight. And I think it was against Liz Carmouche. I can't remember for sure. Yep, it was. Uh, okay. And, and, um, and Liz, granted, Liz actually did really well. Like there, there was that moment there where Liz had her back thought, and I was like. Yeah. Yeah. I actually rewatched that fight not too long ago and I was like, oh, I don't remember, you know, Ronda almost losing. <laughs> right. And uh, it's, kind, yeah. it's kind of weird with her because like they got rid of her and I was like have we forgotten how close she was to actually like dethroning Rhonda before Rhonda actually became Rhonda kind of thing. But yeah. yeah. You know, it is what it is, but um, yeah, watch that. And I remember sitting there and being like, Whoa, I didn't know girls did this, you know? And dad was like, you could do that one day. Like you'd be good at that. And I was like, uh, no, I don't want punched in the face. And that was literally my only response. And he was like, no, you could, you could be world champ one day if you did that. He's like, you were literally raised for this. And that was like, mm. and that was it. You know, that was the end of the conversation. I'm 14 or so. I think I was 14 years old. Time goes on. I turn 16 and I go, dad, you know, I really want to start doing jujitsu in an actual gym. Like I want to see if I can compete at this stuff. I, I love self-defense, the whole aspect of it. I want to learn more. And I can't be rolling around with somebody that weighs 220 pounds all the time. And then two little kids that weigh 60 pounds, you know, like I want to go check it out. He was like, all right, but you have to pay for it, um, but figure it out. Um, he and my brother actually helped me cut firewood, and we sold that for my gas money and to get my money to go to the gym. Um, so cutting wood for that and then finally started working as a waitress right before I went to college. But um, started going to the gym, loved it. Fell in love with jujitsu within two weeks. Went to a gym that was a McDojo, as they'd call it. It was it was kind of a joke of a gym, but I'll credit them with getting me started. You know, they had a juvenile class, and I was very nervous at the time. 
to roll with men, with grown men. So I went to that class because at least the boys were my age, you know, and um, get to roll with some teens and get more comfortable with that before I transition. But within like three days, I was sick of the teen class because I was beating them all up. And so I started participating in the adults class, loved the feeling of beating up grown men that, you know, I shouldn't be able to beat up, but jujitsu allowed me to. And I uh, just fell in love with the art of the sport, you know, how much I could learn and how much I could grow and ended up like quitting when I found out that I couldn't compete at that gym. They were not approving of competing there. Um, and so I quit and went to another gym within the week. It was like my, I think Christmas present or birthday present. My dad paid for like the first month for me somewhere else. And that's where I stayed until I moved to Virginia. So I went to the Springfield Fight Club, um, got there, got to Invicta, got it all done. When I was 17, I went to some amateur fights that were local and watch these women fight. I still wasn't ready to fight. I thought I would only do jujitsu. Was competing, won those, but I didn't want punched in the face yet. And at 17, I went to these amateur fights and watched these two girls fight. And it was disgusting to me, like how horrible it was. I was like, what was that? Like four punches were thrown and one of the girls like turned her back and was like crying in the corner. And I was like, what? That's the amateur circuit, you know? And I was almost like embarrassed for women at the, t at the time. And I was like, I can do better than that. You know, oh my goodness, I want to fight. And my coaches were like, hey, hey, don't you be saying anything until you've been punched in the face. It's a different world. And I was like, Psh, I've been hit harder than that playing around at home, you know, and I was like, I'll be fine. And so within a few weeks, I had talked to my coaches and I already knew I was going to college in Springfield. So I was going to be within two miles of the of the gym i was already like previously an hour away so i was like getting lower gym fees i was this kid coming in the train you know so they were being nice to me but when i moved there i told them i said as soon as college starts that week the week i move into college i will be here every single day every single day i'll start striking i want i want to fight as soon as possible they were like yeah everybody says that and i was like no no i'll be here i actually skipped three out of four days of my student orientation just to go train basically all day for like five hours a day train 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 had like three weeks of striking experience and we had me a fight set up uh, which is not what i'm suggesting anyone who watches this to do nor is it reality i got very lucky i had a weird thing going on i I had some natural ability about me too. I didn't, you know, punch like this the first time I came into class. I, I knew what I was doing. And um, yeah, had a fight, told myself if one, I lost the fight or two, I didn't like the feeling of punching a girl in the face because I'm a nice person, right? I'm not the person who goes and gets in fights all the time or gets mad at people and gets violent. And so I was worried that I was going to feel bad about hurting girls, but I went in there and won my first fight, basically blacked out during it. I didn't hardly remember what happened and loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, told myself if I did love it and won, I would go be the best I could be. And um, got the call up to Invicta once I had had eight amateur fights, turned pro by the time I was 19. And uh, here I am in the UFC at 23. I actually technically got in the UFC at 22. So that was really exciting for me. That's crazy. Now, I need to ask, because I also read, though, I mean, look, when, when you're saying you're a nice person, uh, I obviously get that vibe right now, right? But, like, you do, as I say, once you're in the cage, you do look, I mean, you look controlled, but you, 
you look like you're out for it, right? And, I, and I've watched a couple of your fights and and especially like even when you win, there was there was one where, where you submitted the girl, there was another one where you kind of got the KO and, and you let out that that roar, right? And and I guess that's the, the whole emotions coming back after you technically black out, as you would say. Um, yeah. You know, is that a switch that comes automatically or is that something that, um, you know, you... you um, what you may call it, um, have have to train yourself to to kind of do. Yeah. I'd say a little bit of both. Um, obviously, you have your own emotions and how you handle them naturally, but I definitely think it's part of the fight IQ how you handle those, how you channel those. And uh, for me, you know, with the busy life I lead, like I have a lot of stress that piles up. I have a lot of happy and bad emotions that kind of pile up, and they got to have somewhere to go. And I'm not the person that goes into the goes into fight camp like mad and i'm just coming in here beat up everybody like i save it for the fight and by the time i get to that fight i hate that person i don't care if i actually like them i could be best friends with the person i'm fighting it it doesn't matter to me um i get done with the fight we hug we shake hands like whatever it may be i have respect for that person because of what we do yes it's a sport yes it's entertainment but we're putting our lives on the line and i think about that every time i go in there but i'm mad at that person for every healthy food i have to eat for every pound I have to cut, for every time I have to change my schedule to go train, for every time I have a drop of sweat hit the floor, I hate that. I hate being miserable. I hate sweating. I hate being tired. Um, there's some part of me that loves it, obviously, or I wouldn't be doing it. But I make myself think about how much I hate those aspects of it. You know, I hate cutting weight. It's the worst thing ever. Like, it is literally the worst part of fighting. And I just channel that, and I'm like, this person is why I have to do this. They're making me do this crap. It's their fault. And so when I get into the cage, they're the only person standing across from me. And I don't black out anymore. That was just my first fight. Um, I'm very focused. I know exactly what I'm doing. And I'm a very good listener, too. I, I credit myself on being a very coachable fighter. Um, and I go in there and I listen to those key voices, you know, my, my corners and my dad. And those are who I listen to. Sometimes I can even be smart enough to listen to their corner, you know, and key into their voices, Especially which obviously now. this corner. Yeah, I was going to say, obviously, this quarantine helps with because you only hear four voices anyway. So, you know, if I'm on top of them and mount and the coach says bridge, I'm like, yeah, go ahead and bridge. I'll be ready for this, you know. Um, so that makes it helpful. But I think that's all about fight IQ. I was just talking to my coach about adaptability. You know, I think that's a huge thing that um, women and men, but a lot of the flyweights lack. When I look at the division, like as soon as their game plan gets ruined, they're done. They're like, oh, my game plan didn't work. I'm losing. I'm like, no, my game plan can change like this. Every time I throw a punch, my game plan changes in my own mind. So my coaches and I, like, I never focus. People are always like, what's your game plan? Um, I wouldn't say I don't have one, but I definitely don't have, like, a specific, I'm going to go in there, throw this punch, throw this kick, boom, take her down and do this. Like, that never happens. It's a generality of what I'm going to do. And then as I go in there, I'm very good at adapting. Oh, I see this. Oh, I see that. I, I think my Liana Jojua fight was a good example of that. I saw that she was coming down her head just a little bit up. I know an elbow is much more powerful than an uppercut, you know, and I could reach it a lot better. And every time I'd step in, she wasn't doing anything to block it other than punch me at the same time. Boom, heads right there, elbow her in the face. Um, those kind of things and being able to see stuff as you're fighting and adapt to another fighter instead of just being used to same training partners is a very important aspect of fighting that I think separates, you know, the champions from the people who are just going to be good.
And I think you've also changed because in the sense of like, you know, as we've just spoken about your, your initial training was BJJ. Um, your initial worries was that you weren't going to like getting hit in the face. But when, when I look at you fight, you look very comfortable on the feet to a degree. Like I, I actually sometimes feel like you actually enjoy being on the feet more than you do on the ground. Is that fair to say? Um, it's fair to say that I've leveled the playing field. Um, I used to be, if people go, it, it's really funny. I'm going to do a sidetrack here, but people who have only watched my UFC fight, you know, I see predictions of my fight and of course I watch them. It motivates me even more. I love the ones that are against me all the time. I love being the underdog and I don't even think I am the underdog in this, but you'll see different YouTubers and stuff. They're like, Oh, Miranda Maverick has no grappling, no ground game. You saw in her, her debut with the UFC, she didn't want to go to the ground with Leona. I'm like, bullshit. That never happened. These people have never watched any of my other fights. I am a ground player. I am a jujitsu artist. I used to only take people down and submit them. That's all I knew how to do. And when I say that, I'm serious. Like my entire amateur career, I take girls down, submit them. Boom, done. Never punch, never got punched in the face. Like I would punch and swing just to set up a, but I didn't know what I was doing. You know, then I moved to Virginia. I go to the house of Muay Thai now. I've greatly improved my striking. I had a little bit before um, from Springfield Fight Club, more kickboxing style. But now I feel like I, I'm a pretty good striker. I feel like I could do well even in the Muay Thai realm, you know, if I went over there. Um, and now I'm confident in it too. I used to just lack such confidence. Um, I was scared to get punched, so I wouldn't do it myself because obviously when you trade punches, you're going to get punched too, you know? But I've learned over time, like after going with the guys I go with and after the training partners I have and the training I do, like these little punches that are getting thrown at me in fights feel like little puff balls. It's a 125 girl punching me in the face. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care anymore. And on top of that, like I had to adjust, you know, <clears throat> we're getting to a higher, higher level of girls in the UFC and they've got well-roundedness. They've got the grappling. They've got the striking. Sometimes I'm only going to face a striker. Sometimes they'll be just a grappler. I have to be pre prepared for both windows. And I think I'm finally showing that I've evened that out. Um, I still wouldn't say that I like striking better. Um, I definitely like the sport, but getting punched in the face is still something I don't enjoy. So I go in and I try to finish the fight as violently and as quickly as I can and just dominate them both on the ground and on the feet and try not to get hit in the process. Now, going back to where, what you said about potentially hating your opponent or making yourself feel like you hate your opponent because of the things that they do, i.e. cut weight. Um, I know early on you had some issues with, with weight cuts, but I also, it, that was also, was it antum weight? No, no, it was straw weight. Straw weight. Straw weight. Yeah. Was that a, was that, was that a matter of that you were kind of trying to reach a target that was unachievable for your frame or, or because you were younger, it was achievable and you just didn't have the science behind you? What, what was the, what was the issue there in your I opinion? Would say a anyway? little bit of both. Yeah, I would say a little bit of both. Um, looking back, um, I had learned a lot more about cutting at that point, but I definitely wasn't in the shape of what I am now. Uh, but even with nutritionists helping me, it's just too small for my friend. Like, I can't imagine getting to 115 now. 125 is already miserable for me. But to be honest, I weighed about five pounds less at that time, at least muscularly. You know, I was a little bit heavier set at what I would walk around at now. And um, 
but I was also 19 years old. You know, I just got done being 18 and people know how you develop over time. And I was just gaining more and more muscle, getting more um, mature in how I was built. And at 18, I cut to 118 one time and I had starved myself, but I didn't know how to do it right. I literally didn't eat for a week. And when I say that, I mean, I literally probably had a piece of broccoli and Tic Tacs for like a whole week. And people would be like, bullshit. I'm like, no, I did it. It was stupid, but I did it. And I made weight and I was thirsty and I was hungry and I didn't know how the hell I was doing it, but I made it. And I luckily ended it in like two minutes because I was so tired. I remember thinking I couldn't go to a second round. That was even a three minute round. Um, and when I went pro, the reason I tried 115 was because the UFC only had 115 at the time. And in my head, that was my dream. I didn't really give a shit about Invicta at the time. I didn't give a crap about anything else. My goal was the UFC. And if that's where I was going to be, I was going to work my way up the 115 pound chain. Um, then um, my dad and I, my team and I sat down and talked about it. It just wasn't smart, like wait until I was a little older, until I had a little more experience and a nutritionist to help me if that was going to be the goal. Then, uh, God willing, there was a 125-pound division entered the entered the ring because I'm too short, honestly, for 135. I've fought at 135 once before. Um, I feel strong, but the girls are huge compared to me. And 115 is just... I just die. I literally went into shock the last time I tried to do it. And that's why we ended. That's also why I weighed so far over the limit. I didn't actually cut to that. I cut below that, but I had um, gotten into the bath or whatever. And my heart like basically passed me out and I was having pretty much a heart attack and went into shock. And my dad pulled me out and we were like giving me water and like everything else, trying to get me back to being alive, you know, and it was very scary. We didn't call like the actual medical people because they would have canceled the fight and I begged them not to. Um, so basically I promised my dad 115 would never be an option again until I like got my nutritionist and was for sure I'd make it because it was just too scary, too messed up for my body. I of course went in there and won both my fights at 115, my pro debut and my second fight, um, but it just wasn't a smart decision. Um, I feel at home at flyweight and I don't think I'll ever change. Yeah, and no, I was going to say, like, so you really do feel at home now at, at, at the uh, fly weight weight, right? Like, 100%. In fact, I feel like one of the bigger people at 125, uh, significantly, at least in uh, my physicality. Um, I may not walk around heavier than some of these girls, but a lot of these girls get out of shape. Um, I tell people even inside, outside fight camp, even when I'm a fatty, you know, my version of being a fatty, I'm within five pounds of what I would normally walk around at and fight camp weight. And every time I have a UFC fight, I get better and better at maintaining that walk around weight. No, cause it's kind of crazy. Like I always find, and especially early in people's careers, they always try to cut as much weight as possible. Right. And I think it is also, as you say, like the fear of getting hit. And then you're like, well, if I'm going to get hit, I'd rather get hit by someone smaller than someone larger. And, and people always push themselves down as far as possible not realizing that it really then affects your end performance. As you said, after two minutes, you were, you were absolutely cactus. Um, you know, I, I always look at um, our, our champion or was champion, Robert Whittaker, right? Like he was originally at 170, didn't have the greatest success, moved up, had a lot of success. Kiesa is another one. And I just always find that people are, and, it, and it's talked about like when, when you look at a lot of forums, like you have a lot of people asking like, what are the advantages of cutting weight, you know? And then obviously people talk about being the bigger person in the ring, but I, I feel like there there's like a tipping scale, right? And, it, and it's kind of like, 
yes, it can give you a little bit of an advantage, but if you take it too far, it just slingshots the other way and it's actually a real disadvantage. Absolutely. Um, the problem with weight cutting is there's no real solution as to ending that. You know, I, I've thought about that. I've talked about it. You know, I've been involved in like research with it and stuff uh, or, or people have asked me to be a part of their research for it. The problem is, you know, people are like, just have it day of. Do you know how bad that would hurt the entertainment industry? It, it, or it like would be right terrible before. too because in my, sorry to cut you off, but in my eyes it would be terrible <laughs> for the simple fact that a lot of, it depends how you cut and weight too. If it's a dieting thing, that's one thing. But a lot of these guys are drawing out water, right? And, 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 and you do that and you don't give that person that 24 hours to really rehydrate yeah. and then you get hit in yeah, the head. Yeah, and they're still going to, right. Right. I, and they're I, still dehydrated the same amount. They're going to be like, oh, I'm still cutting, even if it's the same day. And you see that in wrestling even. You know, that's a smaller scale, but they do the same thing. The difference is they have a six-minute match and get breaks in between the eat and drink. Um, we do not. You know, it's go in their life or death kind of thing. And then they have the thing where it's like, well, step on the scale as you go into the cage. Yes, I think that would solve the problem of the weight cutting. No, it would not help the whole fans. And what are they going to do? Cancel the fight right then and there because you didn't make weight? They, they can't. They, it's not possible. They can't do that. Fine you. Everybody would just get fined. I would take a fine and if I could weigh in 10 pounds overweight and still walk into the cage and fight somebody. See, like I, that's not I think fair. That, I think the smartest thing that I've kind of heard was when, when they were talking about doing kind of like was what you started to do with the, with the drugs, but like you do you know, random weight tests, right? So like while you're in mid camp at the starter camp and then you basically say, okay, this is your walk around weight. You can only drop X percent of that walk around weight. So in other words, if you're wanting to cheat the system, it means you're going to have to remain light the whole time, right? And and people are going to get jack of that real quick. That's the only way. But once again, that comes at a cost, right? Like when you think about um, how much they have to pay you started to do all these random drug tests, because you're paying for someone to randomly turn up and, and do these tests, there's a there's a massive cost associated with that. I guess the the, the reason it's it's on the mind again is obviously what happened last week. Um, uh, yeah. I forgot what her name was, but you know, she uh, jumped. Julia, uh, yeah. Julia Vila was fighting her though. Yeah. I saw that. Right. Um, I don't even know from, from looking at her and this is kind of judgy from a book cover kind of thing, but also listening to her video and knowing who she is, seeing what she's looked like previously. Cause I knew her through Invicta. She was the 135 pound champ there. Um, she wasn't, I don't think she was that cut. I don't think she cut that much weight. I think it was because of the timeline that she did it in. And she kind of explained that in her video. And I'd say she's right. Um, you know, cut too much, too fast, pretty much, and did it too soon. Um, did it too soon and then was super dehydrated for hours. I've seen it that way. And I've also seen it where they cut right before they go onto the scale. And then their body hasn't even recouped from this heat, you know, because usually people do baths for that last part. And your body temperature gets so far up that if you even stand up or move out of the bath, you're basically passing out. Well, if you're sitting in a chair waiting for the commission to call you up, which is how it worked for me, at least in Vegas, you get up real quick and run onto a stage like you're already dizzy or lightheaded on a normal day for a normal person sitting up and standing up real quick. But to go from dehydration of 10, 12 pounds to get up, stand up and go walk on a scale, it happens, you know. 
And honestly, like this sounds terrible, but had it not happened in the public in front of a bunch of cameras, they would have told her to stand right back up and go on that scale and she would have been fine. Well, I was just it's about to bring just, that up. They kind of did though. Because when she when she fell over, they, they, they surrounded her, but she got up a second time and went on the scale a second time and fell again. Like that I was actually just gonna bring that up. I'm like that that's the thing that really amazed me was the fact that it's like you're gonna get her to weigh in after she's just collapsed. Like I, I, I found that a little a little weird. Um, but then obviously after she collapsed the second time it was done. Well, I think it's disturbing the viewers. That's the problem. That's the only reason they even canceled the fight. It happens all the time. I've passed out in the bed. Like, they literally don't care as long as you aren't on camera when you do it. And I don't want that to sound bad to the UFC or whatever. I'm saying every promotion, like, it's a normal thing. We all do it. We pass out. We fall over. We're having to get carried. My dad carries me everywhere once I've cut weight or at least used to. Now I'm good enough at cutting weight that it's not that hard on my body i know how to do it properly but when i was in invicta there's numerous times where my dad would just carry my lifeless body to the scale you know and just lay me down and when they would call my name he'd have to help stand me up and i'd be holding his arm and have to let go of him for five seconds like it's normal for us to all pass out but because it was in public and people saw it boom she's out um you know she was fine by the next day she said that and i i she probably was your cardio probably isn't as great that's the difference um but that's the dangers of weight cutting. It is a dangerous game with that. I hate it because one, I still have a lot of weight to cut from most girls and I hold enough muscle on my body that I'm able to cut a lot more weight than most girls, um, which sucks on one hand and is good on another, I guess. So speaking of which, we'll get to your fight. How, fight week, right? How, how, how are you mm -hmm. doing? Let, let's start obviously with the weight. Have you got much to cut this week? I've got quite a bit, but nothing abnormal. It's um, right on track with my debut with the USC and my last one, and I did pretty good on both those. Feeling good, feeling ready. You know, you always get nervous. I don't know if there's a way to not get nervous about weight cuts. I could be two pounds off right now and be freaking out probably. Um, but the weight cut actually technically starts today. I've been water loading up to this point. And so today's the first day I'm not drinking two full gallons of water and I'm cutting out salt and um, starting it from here. So I feel confident, I feel ready and ready to get on that scale and show off. And, and how has this camp been? And, and I mean by like, um, obviously, as, as we said, you were originally booked to take this fight. I think it was pretty much a month ago, right? To the day, nearly. It was pretty much a yep. month ago. Um, and they always talk about fighters obviously peaking at the right moment. So having that sort of like, so how has this, obviously you've gotten an extra month now to prepare for this fight so there's obviously some bonuses to that as well but have you found having that kind of peak and then to come back down only to try to re-peak now be a little bit of an issue yeah, the, the irritating part was the weight cut um i obviously took like that weekend and a couple days after to just kind of wouldn't say eat whatever i want but be a little bit more laxed in what I was doing diet wise. Cause I was like, damn, my body needs a break. It needs to recoup and then get right back at it. Um, I would say that as far as the actual fight camp, the last three weeks have been lighter than what they would typically be leading up to a fight. Just because I just got done doing it. I'm still in tip top shape. I'm still like the techniques on point. My cardio is on point. Everything is there. I don't have to worry about, okay, we got to do this to get my cardio back to where it needs to be. Like, I was already there and now it's just putting the pieces to the puzzle together. 
Um, but I feel good. I feel great. All my training partners have been there for me. I've been doing all my techniques the way I need to. I've been training super hard, even with some traveling I've been doing. I've been making sure I've gotten in some work and my coaches have been working with me personally daily. Um, everything's looking sharp. I'm so excited, honestly. And like I said, her canceling the fight just adds more fuel to my fire. Gives me that much more motivation to go in there and whoop her butt. I have all the respect for uh, Jillian. I've actually looked up to her for quite a bit, but you know, every little thing, it's almost like um, God wants it to be that way. Like it's either an insult that happens to me at weigh-ins or something in the fight or, you know, something like this. And it just makes me want to go in there and like hurt them. <laughs> So let me ask you though, your dad's coming this time. Yes. And, and maybe he'll finally step into the octagon because the first time he didn't even get to fly out because of my surgery. And we found out that, you know, the eyes were hurt before he even left. So I told him to cancel his flight about an hour before he was about to get on the airplane. Um, the second time was in Abu Dhabi. He didn't get to come to that one. This last time he had his fight gear. He had the corner gear. He was so excited to finally get it. And then, you know, that got cut short right before we're about to walk to the apex. And he's like, dang, I'm never going to get to be your court. <laughs> so uh, this time, you know, we're, we're trying again. But to you, what does it mean to have your dad in the corner? Everything, you know, um, he's the one that started this journey with me from my perspective. It's not like he was there like, go, go fight, go fight. This was entirely my decision, but he's been supportive from every moment. He hates it when I lose, you know, he gets mad when I lose. He's like, what? I know you, you, you shouldn't have lost that fight, you know? And he's always saying, and I love this an analogy. He's like, if I had a video game controller and got to pick which character I wanted it to be you and you won't ever let me push the buttons, you keep just doing whatever you want. And it's stupid. And I'm like, OK. And, you know, I feel like I'm finally learning how to play the remote control a little bit better now. So uh, we're doing good. Like I said, he still freaks out even at the slightest things. I get punched once and he's like, why? Why did that happen? You know, you didn't need that to happen. Um, but he's always there. I would definitely say he's more than anything, my mental coach. You know, he knows me from ground up, literally since birth. He As knows he who I am, what I am. Yeah, and exactly what I'm thinking, you know. Like, if I'm sitting there nervous or whatever, he's like, no, we need to make this more comical back here. Like, let's start laughing, be happy, whatever. Because I have a certain way about me that he knows, you know, and he knows what mood I'm in and uh, what benefits me most for the fight game. And on top of that, um, even if he's not there in my corner, we always pray before my fight and he's the one that says the prayer and that's huge to me. Um, I feel like that's kind of the, the, the stamp or the seal to, to winning that fight. And I know another reason he probably gets mad with you when, when, when you do lose and, and we're not going to talk about losing because obviously it ain't going to happen anymore, but it's probably because you put him through the weight cuts as well. I, I saw an interview um, uh, yeah. where, 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 you, where, where you talk about that he obviously does the cuts with you um, just in case he does get to step in the octagon and, 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 and finally get, 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 get his shine as well. But um, he's probably like, you're losing. I can't wait for this, you know? Exactly. It, it is kind of just a funny thing, but he does diet on the side with me, kind of in, uh, what do they call it, solidarity, you know, with me. It's not like he cuts cuts. He doesn't cut with me, but he drinks the drinks a lot of water and then he cuts out the water a little bit, um, but still drinks water. He'll still eat carbs and salt and stuff and not do a sauna and stuff. But he does go on diets with me just to show that he's there for me. And when I used to live at home and doing the cuts, he would literally not eat anything unhealthy in front of me. My brother, my sister would, everybody else would, but whatever I ate, he'd eat no matter what. And I was like, 
you don't have to do this. Like, this is my choice. You know, it's my job. And I have friends that are like, here, eat this, eat this. And I'm like, get that out of my face, you know, but at the same time, it doesn't bother me anymore. It used to. Now I could probably have a Hershey's chocolate cake in front of me and be dreaming of eating it and just be like, eh, I'll get it in a week. That'll be my reward in a week, you know? Let me ask you this. I know usually when people start their, their, their career right at the beginning, they've got a lot of friends that come with advice, right? Like you always get those phone calls. Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. Do you still get those calls? From my dad. <laughs> it's funny because I tell him, I'm like, dad, you're making me nervous. And we don't do it anymore. I'd say the last two fights, he's been really good about it. But he used to be like, have you prepared for this? I watched her fight and I saw her do this. Um, are you sure you've got this part nailed down? I think that you can do this to, to you know, stuff this part of it. And, and honestly, usually he's right. But I'm like, dad, I got it. Like, I, I figured it out. I got it. I watched this part. I saw this. And he's like, oh, yeah, I didn't see that part. You got it. You got it. It's fine. And I think it's himself reassuring himself that he's not nervous and that we're okay, right? Because he gets more, way more nervous than I do now. Like, he's the one that makes me nervous if I ever get nervous anymore. And I'm just like, stop, stop talking. <laughs> and, um, him you know you always have like the fans and stuff that are annoying as hell on instagram sometimes or wherever it may be that are like you know even now i'd say within the past week i've gotten so many messages they're like make sure you don't go to the ground with jillian she'll beat you up on the ground oh, we don't want to see you choked you know like oh she's got such a better ground game like your way to win is standing on your feet and i'm like thanks let, for the and advice let, and let me guess their reasoning is that she's a black belt that's the reasoning right well, He's a black belt and, or I don't have any grappling. So I need to be careful. And I'm like, you obviously have no idea who I am. One, two, get out of here. Like I, I got my supreme confidence right in my mind right here. I'll be all right. <laughs> okay. So your dad's your biggest fan. How are your siblings about you fighting? Are they still, uh, are, are, are they still roughing you up at home or, or are they like, nah, she, she's too strong for us now. We give up no oh my goodness my brother i don't even i'm the opposite i refuse to go with him anymore because he's too strong and rough and he's gonna end up hurting me i always tell him i'm like my hands have value now you can't be hurting me you know <laughs> and uh, my little sister is getting up there too like if we got in a fight yeah i could beat her up but as far as wrestling goes and stuff she's getting to be like she would be my favorite training partner if I was around her all the time. She just won second in state in Missouri as a junior in high school. Um, she literally wrestles at the weight that I used to wrestle at. I think even like six pounds heavier. Like she's doing amazing. They both are. They're both team captains of the wrestling team. Um, and it's funny because I'm like, I guess you would say, like, I don't even like thinking about it that way because I don't see myself as a celebrity or whatever else. But I'm kind of like the hometown celebrity i guess you know when i go back there's right right now there's an article in the newspaper you know that i'm getting ready to fight and and i go back and they're like oh that's Miranda Maverick. like i walk through the high school to go see brock and skyler or whatever when i visit and i'll just hear in the hallways it's like everybody is just quiet and then as i pass it's all the whispering and i i just know what's happening because they know who i am everybody knows who i am and my family's also pretty like known around there we have our ranch and stuff and Brock and Skyler are athletes themselves, and they're always wearing my UFC stuff. Like, if they get a chance to wear my fight shirts or my UFC stuff to training, that's what they're wearing. And I've sent them so much. Like, I get enough gear during these fights. Like, I'll send my sister the hoodie I don't like as much, you know, or send my brother. I, I sent him the UFC Fight Island shirt because they didn't have any more smalls and gave me a this medium that was men's, and it's way too big for me. Send him some of that stuff, and they're just always sending me pictures with them on it and stuff. And I think 
it's gone from like when they were young, like my little sister, at least I think had some kind of resentment a little bit, you know, it's understandable. I'm getting all this attention and stuff. And now I think they're like almost taking pride in it, you know, using that as their uh, tail to get on the wind themselves, you know, and, and uh, have that rising stardom themselves. And it's really exciting seeing how much of an athlete they've came to be and like what great adults they've turned into too. I, um, just got done doing a documentary. Um, you might've seen that the documentary premiere just opened last weekend or the weekend before for after the cage. And my whole family got to be a part of that. Um, including nice. some shots on my brother and sister wrestling with me at home. And uh, nice. they love that. So. Nice. So let me ask you though, giving all this merch away, do you, you collect your gloves though, right? You must keep all your gloves. I have, I have, I have actually sold a couple pair from the Invicta days, but I'm definitely, I've had people ask me for my UFC debut ones. and I don't think I'll ever sell those. There's not a enough dollars on earth right this second for me to sell them. I don't think, but who knows? I probably will one day. I might be stupid enough to get them sorted with all the others and get confused. I don't know. But uh, yeah, I keep all of my fight stuff and I've sold some of it, but that first UFC fight, you know, everything I have, organized and set my dad says he's gonna like make one of those box frame picture things with all of his first clothes in them and put my fight stuff in it too so we'll see what happens but it's a dream you know it's a something that five years ago i would have never thought i never had the dream of being a professional athlete because to me i was always a pretty logical child and i was like that doesn't make sense it's not going to happen i'm five three like five three and a half i'm not going to be a basketball player i'm too like built to be a track runner which i used to think in high school like i was so good at long distance and now i'm like no i actually suck at long distance like once i got muscle it was like no you're not running past a mile without being tired and um yeah just different sports would come and go and I was like, I'm not going to be an athlete. I'm going to go be an industrial psychologist, which is what I'm going to school for. And now I'm getting to do both at once. And it's it's unreal. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, I'm about to let you go. But before I do, I just want to ask Fight Week. Um, and I, I just want to know what kind of a vibe it is. So if I was to say, what's your um, top five tracks on rotation on your iPod or Spotify or whatever in Fight Week, uh, what kind of vibe are we bringing? Okay, well, most of them are 80s. I got the whole Rocky playlist on my thing. You know, I love it. I can't I can't help it. Even the classic Eye of the Tiger one. Uh, there's Princes of the Universe by Queen. I got that one rocking. I usually don't put my actual fight walkout song because that one gets me too fired up. I won't even be able to train. I'll be like, oh, woof. And uh, let's see, what else? It's My Life is a big one for me. Um, and then uh, one that's kind of out of the blue, Dance Monkey. I love that song for some reason. I don't know. I know it's like the whole big thing right now, but I like it. And um, that and Poker Face probably. Nice, nice. Well, you got an Australian song in there, so that's great. There um, you go. <laughs> right. Um, okay, well, that, that's pretty much it for me. I, I just want to um, literally run a couple of fights and just get your fight predictions and then – we'll call it a day because I know you're busy and I know, you know, you said you've got a flight to catch and things like that. So we'll just run through, uh, obviously when it comes to the women, um, we, we've got a couple of interesting fights, one that you'll probably pay close attention to. Um, but we'll start off with uh, Whaley and Rose. Who do you like for that fight and how do you see that one going? I think it'll go the distance. I think it'll be very close. 
I love them both. Um, I've trained with Rose. Well, I haven't trained with Rose, but I've trained at her gym before. I really like Rose. I really like Pat. Like they're both great people. It seems like, but I want to go with Whaley. That's what my what my gut's saying to go with. Fair play. And then yeah. the one that you're probably going to be paying more attention to is the Shashenko versus uh, Andraj. How do you see I that think one Shevchenko going? I see Andraj coming in there trying to swing punches and not doing such a hot job and Valentina just picking her apart on the feet and probably, hmm, I don't know if it's going to be a finish or not. I, I really wonder if Andraj is going to try to wrestle her, um, but I doubt she will because she just goes in there and tries to pummel everybody. I really think that Valentina will just pick her apart and I think it'll end up being two rounds, three rounds. Nice, nice. TKO. And the uh, guys' fight on that is obviously the Usman versus Masvidal too. How do you see that yeah. one going now that Masvidal's obviously the whole the whole selling point is he's got a full camp and and things like that. Do you see it much the much the same with the first one, or do you, do you, do you see it being different? I see it pretty much being the same as the first one. Everybody will make excuses and try to go in there the better version themselves, um, but I do believe Usman will get it done. I, I am excited to watch it, though. Um, it's always exciting watching Masvidal fight just because of his you know, different performances. He's done a great job, but I think Usman will take it home. Nice. And then uh, we got the Australian, Robert Whittaker versus uh, Gaslam, uh, who was mm -hmm. now a replacement, obviously, for Costa. But, like, uh, who do you see in that fight? I think Whittaker will win. I'm impressed by how fast he's come back from his uh, injury, actually. Or, wait, did he? He wasn't the one that got injured. He's the one that injured the other guy. Never mind. Um, when I fought in Abu Dhabi, actually, he's the one that broke. Um, forgot his name. The other dude's arm when he kicked him. Uh, who was it? I'm not sure. I know. I know uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. But uh, it was a strike. It, yeah. it was a stand-up striking match. But yeah. Um, right. And then I guess. But either girl win. Yeah. Beautiful. Back the Aussie. I like it. Um, and uh, I guess the last one will be um, this weekend's main event. Stipe okay. and Francis. Well, um, People don't you know, want to hear it because all my friends are going for Stipe, but I think Nagano is going to win via knockout. First round is my guess. Um, if Stipe can weather the first round, he's going to win the fight. That's what I've said. Wow. First round knockout. You're really calling it. Um, look, I, I, as I said, I've kept you longer than I was meant to already. Um, so I, I, I will kind of wind it out now. I, I really do appreciate you taking the time and coming on. And uh, especially, as I say, it, it, it takes a, a lot during fight week. Um, hopefully, maybe I took your mind off all the weight cuts and everything for, for, for an hour. Um, but look, for people that want to follow your journey and, and maybe reach out and, and, you know, really support, as I say, your journey, what's, what's the best kind of way for them to get in touch with you? Um, my Instagram is the easiest to get a hold of me. It's at fearthemaverick underscore H-O-M-T. Um, I also have a link in my bio to my link tree. It kind of shows all my sponsors. You can get discount codes for anything from recovery tools to food to uh you know clothing or jujitsu gear i have several sponsors that have stuck by me from the beginning uh, something about me is i usually don't represent 
sponsors unless I like really believe in their product and use them. When I when I post about me using them, I really do almost on daily basis, all the way from the massage guns to the the roll on CBD oil I use to uh, the food that I eat. You know, I'm hoping to get a couple more like meal prep sponsors within the next month or so. Um, so I'm really excited about those partnerships as well, but go follow me on there. I've always got new merchandise coming out and I've always got, you know, new posts that I hope to be compelling to fans as well. You know, whether it be about life lessons I've learned or just updates on my fight. Well, there you have it. Um, as I said, thank you so much for taking out this time. Um, and best of luck on the, on the weekend. I'll definitely be tuning in. Um, yeah, and, and let, let, let's maybe get a, a couple more elbows through. Um, and the okay. other thing that I'm really looking forward to is um, seeing your dad make his Octagon debut after you <laughs> take the W. And, um, yeah, it should be enjoyable. Thank you so much for joining us. And, um, yeah, until next time, stay blessed. Thank you. I appreciate it. I'm away. I'm away.